How you guys doing? Y'all all right? All right, I got to get this, I got big feet, I got to get this stuff out of the way. I don't mess up the band or nothing, but you know. Y'all all right? All right, now, see, I'm a black Baptist preacher, so. That's what I'm saying, that's what I'm saying, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. When I, when I talk to you, you got to talk back, you know, you sit out there and act all cute like you're in class or something, you know, you got to let me have it, you got to let me have it. Oh man, you know, I love Dave, Dave's a good brother, he's one of those high energy, zealous for the Lord kinds of brothers, but you know, Dave, Dave's an imposter too, you know, he don't stand up here talking about he loves state, he didn't go to state, he about state. You know, we, we want to get him zip code tested. We want to see if he's bona fide, you know. We don't know if his, his credentials are real, brother. He just might be a closet Tar Heel fan. <laughs> watch that. You got to watch that. Of course, we know Tar Heel fans need Jesus. You know, Dave's real smooth, too. He tried to pronounce my name. I don't know if you noticed, but he got the first name right, Thabiti. But then when he gets to the second name, he tried to say it quick and mumble, right? <laughs> you know, Thabiti, my I appreciate his courage, though. He's got a heart for even trying. Thabiti Anyabwili, it's a Swahili name. Loosely translated means we're going to spank Carolina on Saturday. Seriously, it's a great privilege for me to be with you guys tonight to open the word, not only because I love state, but I love God's people. And uh, I, I love the fact that you guys are uh, God's people and that you representing Christ on campus. And uh, as I thought about coming and sharing with you guys a little bit, I need to observe how wide the stage is for I fall off there. You're going to catch me, right? You ain't even paying attention. You're going to catch me, right? Uh, <laughs> As I thought about coming and sharing with you guys, uh, immediately, the verse of scripture that was pressed upon my heart was Philemon 6. You guys know where Philemon is. You have your Bibles. It's right between Titus and Hebrews, that little short letter that Paul writes there to Philemon. He describes Philemon as a dear friend and a fellow worker. And the reason that Philemon comes to mind is that I'm, I'm thinking about you and thinking about your presence on campus at NC State and thinking about what that means, your presence on campus at NC State and thinking about what students like you meant to me while I was a student at State and not a Christian. As Dave mentioned, for most of my undergraduate days and a little bit after uh, my time at State, I was a practicing Muslim. And not just a practicing Muslim, I, I look back on that time and regard myself as something of, of the campus Saul, a kind of enemy of the cross, uh, one of those persons who was adamantly opposed to what you were doing to make Christ known. Because I had believed that Christianity was a lie. Pie in the sky, by and by. Fiction, fantasy, the, the machinations of little blue-haired old ladies needing something sweet to remember. 
I thought I'd found the truth in Islam, and, and I was zealous for Islam, and I thought Christianity was an aberrant teaching, a corruption of God's previous revelation, and that Islam was the, the final truth, the seal of all truth, and that Muhammad was the final and seal of all prophets. And so I regarded my job to correct you, students like you. Well, you say, well, why do you think about Philemon? I mean, Philemon is this letter written to this guy who's, who's, who's a good guy. He's a brother. He's a dear friend to the Apostle Paul, and he's a fellow worker with the Apostle Paul. He's a, he's a gospeler. He's, a, he's an evangelist. He's one who's working to spread um, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. But, but Paul is writing to him to address another issue. If you know this letter, Paul is writing to Philemon because he's writing on behalf of another man named Onesimus. And Onesimus had been Philemon's slave. But Onesimus, in some way, had come into contact with the Apostle Paul. And through the Apostle Paul's ministry, Onesimus, too, had come to know Jesus Christ. Now there's a dilemma. Onesimus had run away from Philemon. He was, as it were, the property of Philemon. How now should Onesimus... And how now should Philemon respond to this situation? Should Paul send the slave back? And if the slave should go back, should he just go back into slavery? Should Philemon receive him harshly? Or should Philemon deal with him in some new way? Because Onesimus now is not just a slave, but a brother. And Paul writes this letter, this short letter. And it is, as it were, that he took a stick of dynamite and put it at one of these pillars. Well-placed charge, well-placed explosive. So that in this letter, when this explosion goes off, all the sort of worldly thinking about slavery and other issues comes crashing down in the power of the gospel. Now, here's the question I had. What do you pray? What do you say when you're writing a letter like this? to people in a situation like this? What do, you, what do you say to them that makes difference, not only for the immediate situation, but makes difference for the rest of their life, and makes difference not only for the rest of their life, but makes a difference for all of eternity? What do you say to former slaves and slave owners? What do you say to prostitutes and drug addicts? What do you say to college dropouts and, and, and those drunken? What do you say to the classmate who's, who's laying on the floor outside your door in, in Lee or Tucker after having come back from the football game smashed? What do you offer up? What do you say? Because you'll face that time where everything seems like it's absurd, where, where the word of the gospel seems like certain just spitting in the wind. Now, Paul is addressing this situation, and, and I just want to focus on one verse, because in the midst of this situation, Paul says something that I, I want to convey to you and it, encourage you to embrace as your own. He greets Philemon in verses 1 to 3. We've already looked at part of that, dear friend and fellow worker. He, he wishes God's grace and peace to Philemon in verse 3. In verse 4, he begins his prayer for Philemon. 
I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Verse 6 is what I want us to focus on. How does Paul pray for Philemon? He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I pray that you may be active in your faith, in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now in the few minutes we have, I want us to meditate briefly on three words. Pray, share, discover. Pray, share, discover. That's the heart of what Paul says here to Philemon. He he noticed, first of all, he says, I pray for you. I I, I pray that you. Paul prays for Philemon. Now that may seem like a, a very simple thing, a commonplace thing. Of course Paul prays. He's an apostle after all. Apostles pray. Of course he prays. He's a, he's a Christian after all. Of course he prays. We all pray. We wake up in the morning and we pray. We, we pray at our meal times and we, we pray in the evening. But have you stopped to think what a tremendous privilege it is to go into the very presence of God and to speak to him? I mean, you, you realize... Christian, that you have an instant and attentive audience with the creator and the ruler of the universe. As some of you I know will be knocking on your professor's door on Monday or Tuesday, exams are coming up and it's about time to start studying and, and perhaps you've been behind on a paper and, and you, you've got to go see him at office hours. You didn't pay attention to the syllabus when it was handed out as to when his office hours were. So your first trip, you went and you found a closed door. And then we have to sign up to come back during office hours just to get a little face time with your professor. And, and your professor has sort of um, the ability to determine your grade. But you can't just have an audience with him at any time. You can't just appear in his presence. And you can't appeal to him to move the universe on your behalf. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, through Christ, you have constant access to the Father to pray, to talk with Him, to lay open your heart, to express your anxiety, to express your wishes, to speak to him about what troubles you, to speak to him about how great he is, to speak to him about your questions, to speak to him about your discoveries. You you have access to the very one who with but a word created the universe. You realize that God spoke before anything was, and before anything was, everything that wasn't obeyed him when he spoke. You don't get sentences like that in your English class. God spoke before anything was. And before anything was, when God spoke, all of that nothingness turned into something. The creative power of God encased in his word. We speak with God in prayer and God moves in creation on behalf of his people. Paul says, I pray for you. 
I wonder if you see how marvelous that is. How glorious that is. How grand that is. It's not just apostles that have an audience with God. It's you, beloved, if you trust in Christ. It's you, brother, sister, if you believe on the Lord Jesus. And Paul says here in his first word is prayer. Communion with God. One theologian, J.I. Packer, says, you take the measure of a man on his knees. You know what a man truly is when you observe his prayer life. Let me ask you, are you a man or a woman? Are you someone who prays fervently, earnestly, in faith, not just as a matter of routine, but as a matter of communing with this God to whom we've just been singing? Paul writes here to Philemon, and the first thing we want to observe here is that Paul prays for Philemon, and what Paul prays for Philemon is what I pray for you. Notice here our second word, share. Paul says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Sharing your faith. Actively. Actively sharing your faith. What is Paul talking about here? He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. In one sense, Paul here is the answer to what Jesus commanded his his disciples to do back in Matthew chapter 9, around verses 37 and 38, where where Jesus tells them the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he instructs his disciples to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. In other words, that God would send effective workers into the fields of human souls to reap those souls with the sickle of the gospel. And Paul here now is praying for Philemon that Philemon would be active in sharing his faith. He's praying that Philemon would be a faithful evangelist. That Philemon would tell the good news. That Philemon would explain who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that Philemon would call others to, to put their faith, to put their hope in this Jesus. And so be saved. He's calling Philemon to be an evangelist. Now what is evangelism? Well, let's start with some things that evangelism is not. Uh, You might be interested to read a helpful little book by a good friend of mine, a good friend of this church named Mark Dever called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. Uh, In that little book, he explains that there are some things commonly thought to be evangelism that are, in fact, not evangelism. They're helpful, but they're, they're not what the Bible means in terms of actively sharing your faith. So, for example, sharing your testimony. It's a wonderful thing to do. I'm often asked to speak of how I went from being a Muslim to being a Christian and and to tell my sort of personal story of conversion. It's a great thing to do, an encouraging thing to do. But our own personal stories of conversion is not the gospel. It's not evangelism. Or another thing that's not evangelism. Just living before non-Christians in a moral way. Not knocking that. We need to do that. We need to live well before the world. We need to live such good examples that men would be ashamed to speak against us. Uh, but that, that, that whole little thing that's wrongly attributed to Francis of Sissy, maybe you've heard this, um, share the gospel always, and if you have to, use words. That's a wonderful little thing that people say in order to evade actually sharing their faith. 
You know, I, I witness to my friends and neighbors by how I live. Well, you surely do, but you don't, you don't speak the gospel that way. The gospel must be spoken. It has to come in words. It has to come in sentences. It has to come in, in paragraphs and, and truth statements. So just the way we live isn't, isn't sharing our faith in the way that Paul means here. Evangelism isn't apologetics. It isn't the same as defending your faith. Giving an answer for your faith. That, we, we're called to do that. That's a good thing to do as well. But that's not what Paul means here. And evangelism isn't the results of evangelism. What do I mean by that? Evangelism isn't having people just walk up front here or get people to sign a card or, or, or trying to get people to, to pray a particular prayer. However good those things may be in their place, the, the outward actions that we call for aren't the same as evangelism. What does Paul mean here when he says, share your faith? It means very simply that he prays that Philemon, and I pray that you would actually use your mouths to speak the very power of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Not only is it a marvelous thing that we can pray to God and call upon God to act on our behalf, but think how marvelous this is. We are the only creatures in all of God's creation who share with God this capacity to speak. And God has so designed his plan of redemption such that the power of God to save men flows through your very mouth as you speak the words of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and salvation. And every time we open our mouths to preach and to share this gospel, power comes from heaven. Power to save men from sin and death and the wrath of God to come. So what is this gospel? I'm sure you've heard it many times in your meetings. I, perhaps you'll, you'll pray to hear it again with, with clear ears and fresh attentiveness. Four things. It's a simple way of talking about the gospel in four points. God, man, Christ, response. Do you guys know that? I know that. The first point of the gospel has to do with God. There's truth we have to communicate about who God is. That he is the creator of the universe. That everything that exists, he created. And if everything he, that exists, he created, that means everything created belongs to him. He's owner of it. He's ruler of it. We are created, and that means we are owned. And, and this God is not only creator, but he is he's holy. He's pure. He's infinitely pure. There's no darkness in him at all. And not only is he holy, but he's, he's just and righteous and true. Everything he does is right. Everything he does will be, will be perfect in, in all of its proportion. This is who God is. And he's called us as his creatures to serve him and to worship him. That's the truth about God. But there's truth about man, too. There's truth about me and you. We were made in God's image. We were made to fellowship with him. We, we were made to know God. We were made to be the sort of vice regents of God. We were made to be sort of his, his, his little his little portraits reflecting his glory in the world. The very reason he made us in his image and stamped us with his likeness is so that we would not only know him, but we would also image forth him. That we would show out into the world what God is like in his purity and holiness and perfectness. 
But the truth about us is, though we're made in God's image, none of us live like God. None of us worship God. None of us obey God the way we're called to. We're all sinners. We're all persons who have rebelled against God. And in fact, in ourselves, in our very hearts, in our very souls, is this bent away from God, this animosity toward God, this, this opposition to God. And it may be as hostile as shaking your fist and declaring, I don't believe in God. Or it may be as polite as indifference and disregard for God. In either case, it's hostility. If you live for something other than the glory of God, which we've been singing about tonight, that is a manifestation of your sin and rebellion and hostility against God. And because we're sinners and because we have rebelled against God, God, because he's righteous and just and holy and true, and because he will vindicate his name, and because he will exercise his rule of creation, has promised that he will judge eternally everyone who dies at war with him. Everyone who rebels against him, they deserve a just punishment. They deserve God's eternal wrath. That's the truth about man. But the good news isn't good until we get the truth about Jesus. That Jesus is the Son of God, the unique Son of God, God's only Son. Jesus is that only person who has perfectly obeyed God. He always lived to do the Father's will. He was fully God and fully man. And, and he lived in our likeness, in our flesh, yet without sin, Hebrews tells us. And the reason he lived without sin was so that he could offer to the Father the righteousness that we failed to offer, the obedience that we failed to, to offer God. And in our place, Christ suffered our wrath. He went to Calvary's cross. He, he died on the cross. The most excruciating thing about the cross isn't the physical pain. It isn't the whippings. It isn't the beating. It isn't the mockings and the, and the spitting upon him and the pulling of the beard. It's none of that. The most gruesome thing about the cross is that on the cross, the eternal father pours out his wrath upon the eternal son for all the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took the curse that we deserved. And all of the Father's fury for all the sins of all of mankind were poured out upon Christ. Can you imagine the sinless Son of God who had only known the love of his Father in that instant, rejected by his Father, punished by his Father in our place? He dies our death. He pays our penalty. But three days later, he rises from the grave. And the resurrection is the demonstration that what Christ did on the cross satisfied the Father. The Father was pleased with his perfect righteousness and obedience. And the Father was pleased with his sacrifice in our place. And so the Father's sense of justice was satisfied by his Son. And so now, fourth, there's another truth about us. We have to respond to this message. We have to respond in two ways. We have to repent of our sins and place our trust in Christ. 
We have to turn away from sin. That's what repentance means. It, it is to have a, a turning in attitude, a, a changing of mind. We have been pursuing our sin and pursuing things contrary to God, and, and yet now there is this, this turning that must happen so that we pursue God and the things of God. And as we turn toward God, we put all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our claims to salvation upon the back of his son. We trust that the free gift of eternal life, adoption into God's family, we trust that that perfect righteousness comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from anything that we do. And everyone who repents and believes shall live eternally in the love of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the faith that must be shared. And if you're here tonight and you have never turned from your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can I ask you a question, beloved? What are you living for? What are you living for that's so good that you will neglect the offer of God's love in Christ his Son and choose instead to endure the agonies of an everlasting hell? Nothing's that good. Nothing's that good. Forsake all and turn to Christ and follow him. And even if you lose your life in this world, you will gain a hundred times as much in the life to come. A life that cannot fade, perish, or spoil. Kept by the power of God for everyone who believes in his son. If you're here tonight and you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you're hearing this perhaps for the first time or in a new way, talk with the Christian friend who brought you here tonight. Hang out at Bojangles after this service. Come talk to Dave or myself or someone after our service tonight. We would like nothing more than to help you discover what it is to live in the love of God through faith in Christ his Son. So Paul wants Philemon to share his faith. That's our second word there. I'm so thankful for a young man named Dwight. None of you will know Dwight. We were, we were incoming freshmen together at State. And Dwight lived down the hall about three doors from us. Me and my best friend from high school, we came to State together and we roomed uh, together in Tucker, 223 Tucker. That was the rockingest room on campus. We came, I'm, I'm ashamed to say now, we came to college with two cases of slit malt liquor. And we came, and, and our room was the Kool-Aid room. Our room was the, our room was the party room. And, and, and Tucker was a rocking little dorm. And, and three hours down from us was Dwight and Dwight's room. And it was as though our little room was sort of the, the, the epicenter of party life. And, 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 and I spent, I, again, I'm ashamed to say I'm not commending this as a lifestyle. I spent my first semester largely buzzing from drinking alcohol. Oddly enough, it was also the best GPA I ever had. <laughs> Again, I'm not commending this. this is just telling But Dwight was a Christian. And Dwight was not ashamed to make it known that he was a Christian. And even though the rest of us gave Dwight a hard time and ridiculed Dwight, he never flinched. He never retaliated. 
He never backed down. You know, the one person who would share the gospel with me throughout my years as a Muslim on campus, the one person who seemed never to wilt, never to shrink away, even though I walked around campus with a perpetual scowl, and most folks were, were kind of afraid of me and left me alone, Dwight, Dwight never, Dwight never flinched. I remember one day sitting in Pole Hall outside of my advisor's office, waiting on my appointment, sitting there reading the Quran, and Dwight walked up, and Dwight said, what are you reading? I told him the Quran. And he sat down beside me, and I'm like, man, you got a class to go to or something? You know, leave me alone. So he sits down beside me, and he, he starts to talk about the Bible. And he mentions, he mentions Paul. And all I know is Paul's name used to be Saul, and, and, he, and as far as I was concerned, he made up Christianity. And, and I just go off on this rant for about five minutes, and, and Dwight sat there smiling and nodding. And when I finished, he just kept... He just kept on with his witnessing. He just kept on with the gospel. He just kept on with the gospel. Dwight and I graduated, and I was still a Muslim, and he moved back to Maryland or wherever he moved to, and we haven't had contact since we graduated in 1992. But the Lord used Dwight's constant dripping of the gospel into my heart to wash my heart with the blood of Christ. He was sharing his faith, simply, faithfully, without apology, without excuse. And 20 years later, I'm not only saved, I'm a minister of the gospel. I've not only been rescued from the darkness of Islam, I've been given this great privilege of preaching the light of Christ. Don't underestimate how much the Lord plans to use you in your witness for Christ to change the life of another and to set them on a course that will make the difference not only for that individual, but for their families, their churches, their communities, for the world. I pray for you that you will be active in sharing your faith. Our last word, discover, very quickly. Notice the purpose clause that Paul gives there in Philemon verse 6. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that, there's our purpose clause, here's the reason, here's the goal that Paul gives to Philemon for sharing his faith. Now, if you were writing this sentence, how would you fill this in? I pray for you that you would be active in sharing your faith, I might say, so that some people would come to faith. I, I pray for you that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that sinners may be saved, so, so that the lost may be found, or, or so that the churches may, may be full. But notice what Paul says there. It's quite interesting. He says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that, notice, you, Philemon, will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. That's precious. God has so designed evangelism, not only such that as you open your word, the power of God in the gospel goes out into the world, but God has so designed evangelism so that as you speak the power of God, as you encourage and engage people with the word of God, the very activity of sharing your faith becomes the means for discovering a fuller understanding of what you have in Christ. What's in you because of Christ? In other words, as you share your faith, you discover more of Jesus. As you share your faith, you walk in a deeper understanding of what Christ has done for you. 
The riches of the treasures of Christ are mined by the activity of sharing your faith. If I were to ask you this question, how many of you want to know the Lord more personally, more deeply? I, I would guess, I would hope that every Christian hand in here would go up, both hands. Verse 6 tells us that one means for knowing the Lord more fully is to share the good news about him. To share your faith. What's this full understanding of what we have in Christ? It would take too much time for us to unpack it tonight. But it includes forgiveness. It includes righteousness. It includes wisdom. It includes being adopted into the very family of God. It includes being united to Christ. It it includes sanctification, holiness, redemption. It, It includes one day glory with Christ. All the riches of Christ are constantly discovered and mind as we share the faith, as others ask us questions that we maybe don't have the answer to and have to go back to the scriptures to discover, as others challenge us and, and we feel the fear of man, but yet, yet we also feel the fear of God and we are strengthened and enriched, as, as, as others you know, pose alternative theories and, and we have to work again through the Bible's teaching about life and the world and, and the process just pushes us deeper and deeper into Christ. My, my prayer for you, Paul's prayer for you, Paul's prayer for Philemon is that you would be so gripped with the message of Christ that you would not only share it, but in sharing it, you would be pushed up into Christ himself. Till you discover just what you have in Jesus. We just finished singing that we would discover that Christ is all. You'll discover that as you share that with others. Pray, share, discover. Live your life that way and the end will be to see Christ when he comes and seeing him to be just like him. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this night and for this opportunity to look into this, this brief portion of your word. And I do pray, O oh Lord, for all the students tonight, that, Lord, you would strengthen them and then give them a full understanding of all they have in Christ. I pray for these young men and women that you would make them young men and women of prayer, pleading, persistent, faith-filled prayer. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give them boldness and courage, even, even clarity of mind and swiftness of speech to share their faith actively. And Father, I pray that you would be pleased to send the winds of revival through this campus, Lord, through North Carolina State and, and through the Triangle Schools, Lord, all of it. That, Lord, you might be pleased to, to, to as it were, revive the entire campus in the preaching of the gospel. This is not too hard for you. And you have often used students and student movements to to revolutionize entire societies. Would you be pleased, O Lord, 
to give these students such confidence in your gospel, such confidence in your power, such confidence in your grace, that they would not only treasure the gospel themselves and discover everything they have in Christ, but that they would also share that gospel that others might come to know the riches of Christ. Father, I pray this and ask your richest blessings upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.